The first reading today is taken from Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The second reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 to 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, presents your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Debbie. If you can keep your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 4. Um, and if you'd like a copy of Philippians 4, they're at the back. Um, so you can pick that up there. And it's the final, uh, final part of the series on um, Ten Commandments. But let's pray that God will speak to us through this text. Lord, we thank you for your living word, that it's living and active. And Lord, we pray now that your word will come forth and shape our hearts and minds, um, shape our desires, that we might de desire you and find satisfaction in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You might know that John D. Rockefeller is considered the, the richest person in modern history. Um, a richest person in American, in American history and uh, richest in modern history. At its peak, his business uh, controlled 90% of all of oil and ga gas industry in the U.S. He was a, a railroad tycoon as well. Uh, at, at, its, at, at its peak, his business was worth 3% of American GDP. 3%, just one business. To put that into, into perspective, uh, in 2019, American GDP was uh, 21.43 
trillion dollars, which means 3% of that is about 640 some billion dollars. Now, in 2019, the richest person was Jeff Bezos in the US, uh, worth 131 billion. Bill Gates, 96.5 billion. Warren Buffett, 72.5 billion. If you combine the wealth of the three of the richest person, people in 2019, they were worth not even half of what John D. Rockefeller was worth. Famously, though, he was once asked, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a bit more is how he defined enough. And it's not just Rockefeller. Our capacity to want more things, more fame, more power, more uh, money, more whatever, fill in the blank. Well, it seems infinite. No matter where we are, no matter how much we have, we want just a little bit more. We think satisfaction lies in just a little bit more. And you might be forgiven to think that actually there is no solution for this, that human beings are incapable of being content. But that's not true. The Bible promises that there, you can be content. In fact, the Bible commands it. That's what the 10th commandment is all about. Do not covet. Do not covet. It's commanded that we be content with what we have, that we do not desire things that do not belong to us, but are satisfied in the things that we have. Do not covet. That's at the heart of the commandment, that we're commanded to be content. When God spent good many words to tell us this, uh, the sixth through eighth commands uh, are just uh, two words in Hebrew. No, uh, no killing, no adultery, no stealing. The ninth command about lying uh, in Hebrew is five words. But the tenth commandment, as you've seen, consists of many, many more words, 15 words in fact. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servants, his donkey, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Do not covet is repeated twice in the first couple of sentences. And then three pairs of what we shouldn't covet are listed out. But then he says, no, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why so serious? Now, once again, if you think about it, the fall of the entire humanity can be blamed on coveting. Genesis chapter 3, 6. Eve looks at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the word is she desired it. She coveted it. She coveted something that didn't belong to her. And so that began the, uh, the, the fallenness of the world. And it's not just there. All sorts of sins stem from coveting. Doesn't it? I mean, uh, uh, stealing, it's because it's closely related to coveting. We desire things that, that, that do not belong to us. Adultery, we're coveting a relationship that's out of bounds. Killing, often we kill because we covet something that they have. Or uh, lying, we often covet the, maybe the status or whatever uh, that other people have. And so we sin. Coveting often is at the heart of other sins that we commit. Apostle James knew this, and he put it this way. 
but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. We sin because of our evil desires. It comes from our hearts. Coveting is serious. Jesus listed right up there with adultery and murder in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. Apostle Paul uh, claimed that people, uh, people who covet, people who are greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 10. And most people here, you know, if you think about the Ten Commandments, can probably claim that you keep most of it, maybe all of it. Right? You haven't killed anyone, you haven't committed adultery, you are truthful in your speech most of the times. But I don't think anyone, when it comes to the 10th commandment, I don't think anyone can claim innocence. Because our hearts wander far from this command. Because it gets to the heart of the matter. It's not just about the outward obedience. It's not what you do. Like all the other commands are really about what you do. But this command gets to our heart. It's about the condition of our hearts. What we want. What we desire. And the thing is, we can't see. I can't see what you desire. You know, you could look perfectly respectable. You could say, you, you could be generous, you could be uh, um, attending church, you could be helping others, you could worship and keep the Sabbath and all those things and actually constantly be keeping, um, constantly be breaking the Tenth Command. I can't tell. Only you and God can tell whether you are breaking the Tenth Commandment or not. So I want to start there as we begin this uh, sermon. How, what is the condition of your heart? I can't tell. It would just be a guess. But you know. You know what the condition of your heart is. Whether you are satisfied with God and what, the, uh, what God has given you or you're constantly wandering away from him. You're constantly looking to other things, coveting. That desire is that in you. Because in the end, you, only you and God can tell. And if you're struggling, you're not alone. You're not alone. It seems like coveting is part of our fallen nature. <laughs> it begins uh, when we're children. You know, I have a couple of kids now, third on the way. Uh, one, the, the kids are like this. Barney could be perfectly satisfied playing with Legos or something, and his friend comes in with a car. And he abandons everything that he has because he wants that car now, right? It doesn't matter that he was perfectly satisfied, that he's got other cars that are just like it. When he sees that car that his friend has, well, he wants that one. He'll throw a fit to get it. And we were like that. Uh, you know, we were once like that. Children are like this, but... Uh, adults are the same, aren't we? Except that we're more subtle. We don't show it. But there are things that are going on in our hearts all the time, aren't there? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. We covet romantic partners. When we're single, we covet our friends who are in relationship because they just look, that, 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 that's the thing that I want. Maybe that person, oh, that's the person that I want. 
But actually, even when you start dating, this uh, uh, it doesn't go away. When you start dating, actually, uh, you still covet. I think the dating apps of today makes it easier. Even when you're in relationship with, an, uh, with a person, you could be on the app constantly checking you know, to see if there's somebody better, somebody else that you could go for. Isn't that coveting? Uh, and and that, all, that habit doesn't go away even after we get married. Conditioned to wander, constantly eyes continue to look. We continue to think about maybe in our minds, what would it be like if I were married to somebody like that? How about this person? Do not covet your neighbor's wife. We also covet what other people have, neighbor's house and land. And that's a kind of a grown-up coveting, isn't it? House and land. And we literally, I think, indulge in some of this as well. Uh, in the U.S., there is a site called Zillow. Uh, you know, it's about list, it's a house, house listing. Uh, lots of people's, people's hobby, when they have free time, they look at the listing and to see, oh, what would it be like to have that house? I mean, in Hong Kong, there's the uh, 28house.com. Um, Maybe you go on it just to see what's out there. What else would be better? You know, what, what do other people have? And there is that uh, comparison to what we have. And you think, well, what's the harm in this? Well, the harm is that it makes you unhappy with what you have. If your eyes are constantly wandering and comparing um, to others, it makes you discontent because you think, well, maybe something else better is out there. Coveting makes us unhappy. We don't think it, it, it's, it's harmful. I don't think we covet uh, donkeys <laughs> or ox, oxen, uh, but so many things, there, there, there are so many things, that, other things that we covet as well. Our friend's bank balance, the sense of security, maybe that comes from it. Their job, what they have, the right body type, a full head of hair. Uh, if you're a middle-aged man, we covet our neighbor's children and their accomplishments. Oh, if we could just have my children be a little bit like them. You know, actually, our children often pay the price, right? Because we make them unhappy in our comparison. Older people covet youth and the health that the young people have. And I think in living in Hong Kong actually makes it pretty hard. Hong Kong doesn't, it's not an easy city in this way. Because I can't think of another city that has so many luxury uh, handbag stores. It's in every corner. You know, luxury uh, um, uh, watch uh, uh, shops. In every mall, there are these luxury good uh, 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 shops. Uh, and it, it makes us covet. And the number of people, the population density, I think, doesn't help either. Because if you're in rural Australia or even in the suburbs, you don't actually see that many people. Right? You know people that you know, uh, your neighbors or whatever, but you don't actually interact with that many people. You don't even see that many people. But whenever you go outside in Hong Kong, you're surrounded by people and what they have and their accomplishments, their houses, all the things that they carry around. It seems like competition and comparison is almost inevitable in Hong Kong. And of course, social media doesn't help that either. You know, whenever we see uh, photos of our friend's vacation, there's a little bit of voice in our heads. Oh, when can I go on a vacation like that? When can I do something fun like that? 
And most of us understand the idea that money can't buy happiness, but to a certain degree, actually money does. <laughs> because what researchers have found is that happiness actually comes in relative wealth to your neighbors. In relative wealth to your neighbors. This is from an article. When people consider their wealth relative to others, there's a strong association between money and happiness. What it means is um, that our happiness often depends on how we think that we're doing to our friends. You know, this is one of the reasons why I think Denmark, Norway, you know, some of these uh, uh, Norwegian countries, uh, uh, Scandinavian countries, their happiness index is higher because the wealth gap is lower there. Because you see around and you think, well, I'm doing as well as other people. And that makes you happy. But in Hong Kong, I think this is what this means. You can live in Happy Valley, uh, drive a really nice car, live in a luxury house, uh, have kids who go to you know, great schools or whatever, but then you're unhappy because you're comparing yourself to the people who live in the peak. Right? That's relative. It makes, it makes us unhappy. No matter where we are, we're constantly comparing. And you might think, what's wrong with our hearts? And the answer is, there is something wrong with our hearts. If there was any man who could claim to be righteous in the Bible, I think it was Paul, St. Paul. Paul actually wrote that he could boast about this. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, If someone thinks they have the reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. A Hebrew of Hebrew, etc. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless, he says. He kept the law perfectly, faultless. But do you know what defeated him? The 10th command. The 10th command. When he writes to Romans chapters, in chapter 7, this is what he says. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin uh, was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. He could keep every single commandment and say, I kept this. But when it came to the 10th command, when he tried and started to examine his heart to see if he covets, he says sin sprang to life. Every time he thought about not coveting, he started to covet what other people had, their status or whatever. Sin sprang to life, he says, and it killed him. Tenth commandment is the thing that made him realize that his heart is sick, that he needs a savior. Maybe you think Paul's exaggerating. Maybe you think you can do better. Friends, I want you to take this week and try to fight the sin of coveting. Because if you only when you, you know, often we think that we can do better because we constantly give in to our sinful temptations. 
right? If you give in, you never know. You never know how strong the temptation is. Only way that you would know how strong Mike Tyson's punch is if you got into the ring with Mike Tyson and got punched by him. That's the only way you would know how strong that desire is if we try to fight our sin. You shall not covet. And like St. Paul, I bet you will, you will find that fighting this sin is impossible. There's something wrong with our desires. Our desires are disordered. We desire the wrong things. And in order to heal our hearts, we cannot just simply tell ourselves, do not covet. That's not our, 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 how our hearts work. In order to heal our hearts, we have to go back to the first commandment. This is why I think the 10th commandment is very apt. It first and the 10th uh, uh, form a right pair. St. Paul, I mean, St. Augustine said, um, our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you. You know, there is a God-shaped hole in our hearts. We're made to be in relationship with God. But if you are not in relationship with God, if you worship something else, you know, if you take that, if there is a God-shaped hole in your heart and you try to fill it with anything else, nothing else will be enough. You will constantly be not happy. You will not ever be satisfied no matter what you try to fill that hole with. It needs to be God. You shall have no other gods before me. Come to me. I am your rescuer. I am your creator. I'm your rescuer. I'm the one who has made you, died for you. You are to be in relationship with him. Friends, we need the first commandment in order to fulfill the 10th commandment and every other commands in between. Only if, when, only when our hearts are satisfied with God, we can resist other temptations. We can be satisfied with what we have. I don't know if you suffer from hunger. Um, I do. I, you know, when you're hungry, you make all sorts of terrible decisions, don't you? I mean, I, you know, when I'm hungry, I'm often uh, more irritable. I'm less patient. Um, I snap more easily. I don't really understand the stuff. Like uh, the, 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 I'm not understanding. Uh, and shopping when I'm hungry is a disaster. So often, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Mary will ask me to go and shop uh, right before, uh, right after I work on the I'm on my way back uh, from work, and it's a disaster always, because when I'm hungry, I go into. Uh, uh, parking shops or whatever, uh, and I don't just buy the things that Mary just asked me to buy, all the healthy stuff, carrots and things like that. I then buy all sorts of other things. I buy ice cream, I buy candies, I buy pe frozen pizza, I buy uh, just all sorts of potato chips, uh, all sorts of junk food because when I'm hungry, I think I want those. <laughs> Maybe not right now, but I want it in the future. So I have no self-control when it comes to it, right? I go and buy all these things. But if I go shopping right after a meal, I'm much more self-controlled. I tell myself, actually, I don't need this. Maybe I can go a week without candies. <laughs> Maybe I don't need this. Maybe I can exercise even. These thoughts come to mind. 
in order to in order for our hearts not to covet uh, the we need to satisfy the hunger of our hearts we need to fill it with Christ if my heart is spiritually rich if my heart is brimming with the love of Jesus his satisfaction found in him maybe I don't need other people's praise Maybe I don't need this handbag or this gadget. Maybe I can give it away. Maybe I can be more generous. Maybe I don't need to steal. Maybe I can uh, be satisfied with the present circumstance. I don't need that raise, that relationship. When I'm spiritually rich, I'm able to obey God and I'm able to be content with what I have. So church, fill your hearts with Jesus. Fill your heart with Jesus. Go to him and, and focus uh, your, uh, on your relationship with Christ. That sounds easy enough. But what does that look like? Well, I think what, I, what, we, found, uh, what we find in Philippians 4 is really helpful. So let's, if you have this, uh, let's, let's, let's go to it. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is sitting in a prison cell. And his command to us is not just to be content with, with what we have. What is his command? He says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. How am I, how am I supposed to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, he says, um, the, he says in verse 5, the Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near. Remind yourself that you have your Lord, Jesus, with you. Remind yourself that God who loves you, who has given himself, his son for you, is with you. And not only that, I think there is another sense that the Lord is near. He's coming back soon. This world is passing away. There is a world that is richly filled with your blessing. That is coming soon. The Lord is near. Remind yourself of this truth. The Lord is near. And then present your request to God, verse 6. Don't just suffer alone. Don't just talk to yourself. Talk to God. Present your request to God. And what's the promise? That the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That contentment will come as you present your request to God. I mean, I often think of a praying as just going into God's presence. When I close my eyes, I shut out the world, and I come into the presence of God. I'm with him. And when I am with him, the peace that surpasses all understanding comes to my heart because I know that God is near. God is hearing my prayers, and he knows what is best for me. Present your request to God and think of what God has given you. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, you know, if you have food and clothing, you can be content. The minimum standard for your contentment is food and clothing. All of us have that, don't we? And not only that, God has given us much more than food and clothing. Think of his generosity. Look around in your life and think of the, the things that are good and excellent. Oh, what does he say here? Um, Whatever is noble and right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, God has given you these things. 
think and reflect on these things. And then rely on his strength. It, uh, this section ends famously with this line, I can do all things, all this through him who gives me strength. Well, what is this that he's talking about? He's not, ta he's not talking about passing an exam or you know, achieving your dreams. He's talking about contentment, isn't he? Verse 12, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Go to him and rely on his power for you to be content. John Wesley was about 21 years old when he went to Oxford. He came from a Christian home. He was gifted in many, many ways. He had good looks. But in those days, when he first arrived at Oxford, he was a bit snobbish and sarcastic. And one night, uh, something happened that changed, that set his uh, path uh, to change his life. While speaking to the porter, the janitor um, there in his college, he discovered that this man only had one coat and didn't even have a bed to sleep on. But he was an unusually happy person filled with gratitude. So Wesley, being immature, thought that, uh, he joked. And he said, what, what else are you thankful for? And this porter's answer was this. I thank him that he has given me a life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a constant desire to serve him. This porter had something that John D. Rockefeller, with 600 and some billion, you know, whatever, how much money that he had, didn't have. This porter had contentment. He had Christ. He was filled with spiritual riches. He was rich. Or in words of a psalmist, Asaph in chapter, Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire beside you. Let's pray. Our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you, O oh Lord. Lord, would you direct our hearts to Jesus, to his love, to his goodness, his presence with us, our salvation, the future that is coming. Help us to think of all that is noble and good and pure and holy. Lord, help us to know you deeper that all the things of the world will fade away, that we might be filled with richness of knowing Christ Jesus. Amen.